Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to kick off May. May is for mothers. Oh my gosh. Playing on the theme of Mother's Day and all of the topics and intricacies of the mother and what this topic brings up, I really wanted to host a a full month of interviews about parenting, about mothering, about being mothered, (laughs) about um, the mother archetype that activates within us when we become mothers, the challenges of being mothers, the loss that we sometimes experience as mothers. And becoming a mother or this this topic of mothering, I mean, we we all come from a mother and we all have stuff around this topic. And so part of the sacred remembering path is really becoming attuned to our relationship with the archetypal mother, the mother that we had, the mother within us, if if that has been activated. So welcome. Welcome to May. And there are six episodes on this topic. So yeah, we'll go into June one week. But um, We also have our first male guest in the month of May as well. Uh, So to accompany this very, very exciting topic and what I hope is actually a, um, (laughs) I don't know, like a fountain of, of energy and renewal, both from spring and Mother's Day um, and, you know, where we have been with the coronavirus. But I'm really inviting just a fountain of energetic renewal here for everyone um, and also for the podcast. And so I wanted to share with you that I'm also calling for 100 new patrons on patreon.com slash Sarah Poet, 100 new patrons in the month of May. So we're kicking off May and, um, this, this matters. It matters so much more than like the $5 a month donation. So $5 a month, everybody can do it. You can do it right now. Don't ignore me. Don't ignore me. Yeah, I'm talking to you. We can all do this. We can we can invest in art and creation and movements. And so this is what I want to encourage. I want you to ask yourself, do you support women, such as today's guest, telling their stories? Do you support the power of women's voices? 
Do these interviews resonate with you? And would you like to hear more of them? Do you find inspiration from women telling their stories of hardship and remembering who they are and waking up to the truth of who they are? And I think you're all going to answer yes to those questions, right? So I'm going to encourage you to become uh, one of these 100. And it's really, really easy to hear um, a call like that and then think like, oh, that's not for me, but I'm saying no, real, really you. Um, and what I want to do with this is really seed a lot of energy, um, into this podcast in May, into this sacred remembering movement. I'm going to call it a movement right now, y'all. That's how bold I'm feeling. Um, I want this to become a movement and I want there to be an energetic threshold, um, that, that this crosses over such that it becomes this fountain of a movement. And so many women are touched by one another's stories. And, um, I think through coronavirus, one thing that's really, really popping for me right now is how many women are truly waking up right now. How many women have been just going to work, going through the grind? Whoop, I have chills. You know, it's truth, truth bumps. Um, how many women have been going through the grind and are now saying after this like sacred pause and the ability to quarantine and all the shit that that brought up for women, like, Oh my gosh, look what's happening in my nervous system. Oh my gosh, look how separate I am from my partner and my children. And Oh my gosh, look how hard this is to be in the house. And, and, um, you know, looking at what will no longer be tolerated. And so women right now in mass are waking up to the truth of who they are. And that journey, as I definitely know, and I know that, you know, is hard. It's hard and it requires, um, knowing that you're not alone and it requires, the the absolute courage to follow those breadcrumbs back to your own soul and the truth of who you are. And so that's why I'm calling for Patreon (laughs) support. Um, You know, your $5 donation puts the energy behind the movement that allows this podcast to go further and spreads the energy. You don't have to really understand how those energetics work, but trust me, like when you invest um, and become like an active participant in the energetic investment, it all spreads. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here and come back all of May. And um, I cannot wait to introduce today's guest to you. You are going to love this. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I love today's interview so much. As you've heard before in the podcast, I tend to sometimes ask women to tell stories that they have not yet told in full or told in this way. And um, I'm really excited for today's interview and sharing it with you because my good friend and absolute powerhouse, absolute superhero in the flesh, Erin Orion is sharing her story with us that will blow you away. So we took a little bit longer in this podcast to record because we were really allowing the depth of the story to be told. And um, and Erin speaking it was medicine for Erin as well as medicine for all of the listeners. And so Erin's story is just so incredible and so 
absolutely almost like unbelievable in theory, but completely believable because it happened. And because Aaron's ability to look at her story and truly alchemize what has happened in her life and the depth of what has happened in her life um, is so strong and so potent and how she came out of not only her cancer experience, but cancer experience in her family with her own child, how she came out of that and through that is, um, is mind blowing and breathtaking. So it is my pleasure to introduce Erin Orion to you. Erin Orion is a truth seeker, healer, and priestess. She has a master's of divinity and is a registered clinical counselor as I know you'll hear today in her storytelling, Erin is skilled at creating room for the voiceless to find their voices, and she really does so with such unconditional acceptance and love. Erin's personal journey as a childhood cancer survivor, as well as her unique experience walking her own child through his cancer journey, yes, that's right, combined with all of her formal training has just especially equipped her to hold space for families and individuals that are going through their own traumas and transitions. Erin is a powerful, intuitive, and psychic, able to read energy, and uses this gift to help uncover the underlying dynamics that often unconditionally block the healing and awakening path. She loves to help others on their soul journeys. She is constantly working on dismantling systems of oppression through advocacy, allyship, and energetic healing practices. You can read her full bio and learn more about her in the show notes at sarahpoet.com. Welcome, Erin. Hey, Erin. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me here. Thank you so much for being here. I hear the little birds chirping behind you. I love Mm. it. It's you and the birds today. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm outside of my farm. I love it. I love that you're recording outside. I think it's the first, but I so love it. I'm like, how can I make that happen? That's great. (laughs) (laughs) So it's such an honor to have you here today. I've known Erin for over a year and you're a dear sister of mine. I'm so grateful that you would be here to share your story Um, your story is one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. And, um, I know and trust that any way the pieces come out today is just perfect and sacred and divine. Um, so we're here to talk about being a woman and being a mother and children and, um, yeah, I want to name that we are recording this in the at the end of the second week of March when the coronavirus is popping and the pandemic has just been declared. And so your story is a medical journey and now this is like current in the collective. So I really trust that this is going to be a rich conversation today. So thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, it feels so divinely timed. Thank you. So I just want to ask you where you want to start, you know, do you want to start with talking about your childhood journey into your motherhood journey? Do you want to start with the present? I, 
I think probably a small bit of the childhood journey into the present day journey makes sense to give a little bit of uh, background (laughs) of where I come from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, and before we start, Sarah, you just mentioned that um, my journey is a medical journey. So before we start, I just want to say that um, I'm cognizant of medical triggers um, and that medical conversation, especially now with what's happening in the world, can be very triggering. So um, I just want to put out that trigger warning of like, it is it is a very medicalized journey. There's a lot of medical trauma in my story. And... Um, put that out for the listeners so that they can decide what they're ready to hear and hold. Yeah. And so can I, I'm going to name and frame that we are talking about childhood cancer. Absolutely. That's what we're talking about. So yeah. So people can decide if they want to hear this powerful, powerful story. Yeah. 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 So childhood cancer has been my journey. (laughs) Um, I was diagnosed with uh, leukemia when I was 13 years old, and uh, I underwent two and a half years of chemotherapy. Um, At the time, I was part of the first generation of survivors to kind of go through um, chemo and come out on the other side. They hadn't had very many survivors before that point, Uh, and there was a lot about my journey that was extremely traumatic. It was very intense. Um, Even the chemos that they were giving kids at that time were more intense than they are now. They um, essentially, uh, doctors decided they, they couldn't lose children as much as they were losing them to cancer. So they figured out how much chemo they could give a child and still keep them alive. And so they basically gave them the absolute maximum dose at the time that I was diagnosed and treated that you could possibly give a child and basically brought us very close to death with the medicines that they were giving us to save our lives. Right. Um, And then tried to kill off the cancer in that way. Um, So I was a bit of a guinea pig in some ways. Uh, There were certain things they tested out on me that they didn't, they don't do now, that they didn't continue to do. Like they, um, one thing that was distinct about my case uh, in the 90s was that I was treated for two and a half years without a inserted surgical port, which meant that for every single treatment I got, I was being given IVs. Um, and what they found over the course of two and a half years is that uh, children's veins collapse and they stop working with the amount of toxicity that was going through them. So that was like one example of just the sheer amount of drugs, you know, you're getting, um, it's very different. Being treated for childhood cancer is very different than being treated for adult cancer. Kids are treated at much higher doses for much longer periods of time than adults could ever, are ever given and could probably survive. Uh, Chemos like five days or seven days a week or every single day for multiple months. Um, and various different kinds. Sorry, if you can hear the Canadian geese flying by, <laughs> they're quite loud. <laughs> 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 
Um, but given uh, chemo for multiple months and the toxicity in the drugs is, well, it's disabling. It's extremely yeah. intense. And um, after the end of two and a half years, I was 15 when I finished, I was left with um, joint collapse that they knew about. We knew that my ankles were collapsing. I had been diagnosed about a year into my treatment with that. And uh, I spent about 20 years afterwards healing from both the medical side effects and the emotional side effects of the treatment. And um, in my adult life have realized that there were actually multiple other side effects that I had that were never identified because they just didn't know enough at the time that I was treated to be able to identify that those were the side effects that I was experiencing. Yeah. So you were living this experimentation and the side effects of this experimentation and like forever. Yeah. 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 And doing it really, um, a lot of the healing that I was doing that I did after my treatment, I did a lot on my own. You know, there just wasn't an acknowledgement of what, what we were putting kids' bodies through, what we still put kids' bodies through. Um, and there wasn't support. So, I mean, one with my joint collapse, I mentioned, you know, I'd have to walk into a doctor's office and I would say, I have this condition. This is what it's called. This is how it works. This is what it means for my life. This is how what the tests are that you need to order. And this is how you need to follow up. And they would say, okay, I've never heard of that before. And I'd say, I understand that. Uh, I'll come back to you next time we visit. Please read up on it before we see each other again. (laughs) Your own advocate. Yeah, being your own advocate. One of the things you said, I want to ask a clarifying question about, you Mm -hmm. said what what they're giving kids, and maybe this is still true or was true then, the amount that they're giving children they wouldn't give adults. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Yeah, so they um, they don't have childhood cancer treatments that are specifically made for child bodies. Um, what they have and what they use is adult drugs for ch- children's bodies, but children's cancers act very differently than adults' bodies do, and part of the reason for that is because children are growing. So as they grow, their cancer changes and it grows as well. Um, so because they couldn't stand the fact that there were so many children dying of cancer and still today, I mean, the stats are that childhood cancer takes more children than any other childhood disease, um, out there. So it's still, uh, one of these situations where we don't have quite a handle on it, but it's much better than it used to be. And, um, they would give like I've mentioned, they give kids as much chemo as they possibly could without killing them. And then they just dial it back a little bit. So we're talking about like where often adults, when they have cancer, they're going for a treatment once a week or once every two weeks or once every six weeks, they're getting some oral drugs. Uh, For kids, we're talking about them going in every day for weeks and months at a time we have it for leukemia and because every cancer is different the treatments all are different as well but uh for standard risk leukemia as there are different levels of risk as well we have eight months of intensive chemo 
and then two and a half years of maintenance chemo after that. And the intensive chemo is chemo every single day, and it's IV, it's uh, through the spine intrathecally, it's intramuscular. Um, there are drugs that they give kids as a normal part of the protocol that are not approved by the FDA and you have to sign a release before you're given it because it is known in 50% or more of the cases to cause anaphylaxis. So when you enter a room for this treatment, a sign, this big orange sign is put on the door saying this is the treatment that's happening. All of the drugs for your recovery in case you go into anaphylaxis are drawn already in a in a container on the side table and all the um, medical professionals working the floor that day are notified that this is the drug that you're getting because the chances of you having a massive life-threatening reaction are so high. And every time you're given this drug, uh, the chances increase and you have to be given this drug more than once. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just one of the very many drugs that are given. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm like, take a deep breath, you know, like, <laughs> I'm almost like wanting to pace, you know, us and the listeners, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a moment ago, you paused to hear the Canadian geese and mm-hmm. you're outside. And so, yeah, while we're telling the story and we're kind of building the story, there's this very, very sacred woman that I'm talking to today. <laughs> very, very <laughs> sacred story, very sacred. Like the woman who knows to do this interview outside on the ground, like connected mm-hmm. to nature. And um yeah, so honoring honoring, you know, mm. backwards, forwards, all, all of it, all of it. So I want to ask a question about um being a teenager in that and you were saying that there was very little support because they didn't even know all the side effects. Of course, they're not taking care of everything psychologically. Um, and then you became your own advocate. How did that impact your development? I mean, those are really impressionable years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Huge question, I mean, but like, no, let's <laughs> pick some. <laughs> absolutely. That I is a huge question. <laughs> it's a really good question. And I love that you asked it because it was so much a part of my experience. And it's one of the things that I actually, um, prior to, and I'm, I'm not going to fast forward too much into my story, but prior to the last four years, um, I was a huge advocate for teenage cancer being treated differently than adult cancer, than childhood cancer, mm-hmm. because teenage cancer is an incredibly different experience because you are forming your sense of self at the same time as you're going through these huge medical traumas. Um, so for me, there was a massive part of me that became really identified with childhood cancer. And I, for a long time, so one of the side effects that they have found over the decades since I was first treated is that uh, 75% or more of children, teenagers, survivors, and their families experience um, PTSD from the treatments that they receive and from the experiences that they receive. So unbeknownst to me, at the time, nobody knew. At the time, nobody had any idea that there was any of these things going on. Um, But unbeknownst to me, I developed quite an intense case of PTSD and was understood 
uh, by my family and by those around me to be an angry teenager. Like on the outside, I looked like a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, whatever, who just couldn't keep her shit together. And what was actually happening was that I was extremely dysregulated. I was extremely triggered. I had no support at all around those experiences. And I was lost. And and so I spent a lot of my teen years and my young adult years basically on a journey to try and find myself again. Like, who am I? Who am I with this past experience of cancer? Who am I now that I'm a survivor? How do I come forward through that journey and become a whole person? And um, my journey actually took me to a Quaker retreat center and then to a Quaker seminary, which was not something I would ever have experienced or expected um, for my life, my did not come from a family that that was something that was <laughs> expected in any way. But that meant that I, I was on this really big journey to try and find my soul again. And Quakers were was where I was. I was raised in a Quaker family, and so I ended up at Quaker Seminary. And basically, there, uh, well, th- actually if I back up a little bit, through my um, undergraduate psychology classes, I identified that I was doing, that I was experiencing PTSD. And then when I went on to seminary, I did a lot of the deep healing work that I needed to do in order to come back to myself and to know that I had been changed and I had been um, transformed into something that I was not previous to cancer, but that I wasn't broken. And I wasn't wrong for experiencing the world in the way that I was experiencing it. It just meant that I needed to pay attention in a different way to the world around me and to what was going on in myself because PTSD can take you off track real fast um, and it can spin you out really quickly. So it meant that I had to pay a really different kind of attention to staying grounded in myself and acknowledging who I was in order to move forward in a whole way rather than kind of flailing and what a lot of people saw in my teen years as this angry teenage bitch, essentially, (laughs) Um, who just seemed like she didn't, she just lashed out. And I was lashing out out of these deep wounds um, and not out of like teenage anxiety or teenage angst. So. Right. Thank you. That's an amazing answer. And yeah, just really honoring that young knowing on that path that I call sacred remembering that, you know, the soul journey, it's like the, there were parts inside of you that knew and yeah. it led you toward seminary. And yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So sorry, I'm going to let you take it from here. Then what happened? Then what happened? Well, um, well, at seminary, so one of the wonderful things that happened at seminary was that I met my husband, my partner, and I suddenly felt like I had a new life. And I started to imagine what my life would look like outside of the childhood cancer realm. Mm. And um, we moved back to my family farm 
in uh, the south coast of Canada. And I had a very deep call, had known for a very, very, very long time that one of the things that I had to do with my life was to become a mother. I just knew that that was what I was meant to do. I was meant to be a mother. And my my chemo uh, really put that into question, whether that was going to be an option for me or not. We didn't know. The doctor said, you know, as far as we can tell, you probably should be able to have kids, but we won't know until you try. Uh, There's a very good chance you will go into early menopause, given the amount of uh, chemotherapy you're given. So better to try earlier than later. Mm. So we decided to have a baby. Uh, about a year probably after we, sorry, I almost dropped my phone there. If you heard me jump, (laughs) um, uh, we decided to have a baby about a year after we moved back to the farm and we got pregnant and it was like this absolute miracle. My miracle baby, I had no idea it would ever happen and had this wonderful, beautiful child dove into the parenthood world, um, found that I had a lot more health complications coming up for me in particular after my, my birth of my child. I had a lot of different things that were side effects that, again, hadn't been tracked, didn't nobody knew about, and now here they were rearing their ugly head. So I had a lot of time um, while becoming a mother, that I was also need, now needing to deal with heightened um, pain and disability showing up in my life. Um, but I was just like, I was a mom, and it was like, it was everything. It made everything in my life feel right. Um, and we were ticking along just fine. And then uh, my son was four and a half years old. And, um, sorry, I'm getting a little choked up. Mm-hmm. He, um, Take your time. Thanks. So our world crashed down around us when he received his own childhood cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. He, uh, was diagnosed with the same cancer that I was diagnosed with. It was absolutely identical and there are no genetic markers whatsoever. I was told multiple times prior to getting pregnant that there was no chance my children would have cancer, that this had never been ha- this had never happened before. Nobody had ever heard of it. It would not happen to me. I could have a child safely without risking this. I said to a doctor at one point, I don't want to have kids if it means they have to go through what I went through. They said, yeah. no chance. It's never happened. Your kids are going to be fine. And then at four and a half, um, everything came apart. And uh, here we were looking at three and a half years because um, at the time when we started our chemo journey with him, boys were being treated for three and a half years. Girls are treated for two and a half for leukemia. That's since changed and I, I can get to that later. But uh three and a half years of chemo and I was looking at walking my family through what I've described as taking my child by the hand and walking him through the war that I had already fought. Yeah. Oh mama. Yeah. 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 Um 
to make it more complex. Uh, we were living in the same area that I had been living in when I was treated. So uh, we received our diagnosis at the same hospital. My oncologist actually came to check on us um, in the first week. I w- he His original doctor that he started his care under was a doctor who treated me 25 years prior to that. Wow. Wow. And yeah. I think you've told me in the past that your story, your, you and your son's story, is the only story like this in the world. Like you're like an anomaly, yeah? Yes. Uh, yes, I've met, I think I know of uh, two other parents who were childhood, childhood cancer survivors who have kids with cancer, but they were not the same cancers or they were genetically connected. So the, the, the absolutely unique thing about our story is that there are no genetic markers. This has never been known to be a genetic disease at all. And here we are. Yeah, here you are. And, and so now you are on the other side of chemo. Yes. Yeah, we finished um, at the end of October this year. So we got through <laughs> a yeah. long hike. Yeah. 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 And your son is how old now? He's eight From, now. He's eight now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that point where you just said, I took my son's hand and had to lead him through the war that I had fought. Yeah. So, ah, yeah, that's, I want to go there and I want to like give you as much breathing space as you need right here. Um, Because in some ways, Aaron, like that's so divine that you're able to walk him through and be, I mean, mamas are warriors, right? But you are such a warrior. Can I talk about your tattoo? Can you talk? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) When I first met Erin, she had, she had hair and then she shaved her head and revealed this tattoo. Why don't you tell us what it is? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, great. I love this. Um, So I, Actually, okay, so the year before Roan was diagnosed, or about that, I decided for my 20th anniversary, I'd try and do a, a fundraiser for childhood cancer. That was one part of my story that I haven't mentioned that I was a, a hardcore advocate for childhood cancer and finding better treatments for kids all through my life. So that never, that never changed. Um, so I was doing a fundraiser to raise some more money for childhood cancer, and I was... I don't know how it came about, but I turned to my husband at one point and I said, "Hun, do you, what do you think? I think I should get a superhero. Kids talk about, people talk about kids being superheroes when they go through cancer. Wouldn't it be hilarious if I tattooed the Hulk on my head? And he was like, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to do it. So I, for my 20th anniversary, tattooed the Hulk with childhood cancer ribbons around his wrist on my head in like fighting pose. Um, I had to convince my tattoo artist that I really wanted to do this because she could not believe that someone would want to, first of all, get the Hulk tattooed on their head. Um, And then for childhood cancer, she was like, I don't, I don't know about this, but it's an awesome tattoo. 
And then it's like Hulk smashing childhood cancer. Yeah. So then the following year when he was diagnosed, I was like, this just, you know, not okay. Like this whole life path thing is just not okay with me. And I was really angry. And so one of the things that I did was I went and had the other side of my head tattooed (laughs) and I had the words Hulk smash kids cancer put on it. So that was, so now, yeah, so now. I didn't um, know that there were two. There are two. So I have the Hulk smash kids cancer on one side and then I have the Hulk on the other side of my head. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so sometimes I, I, I'm just like, Aaron, you can do anything. You you (laughs) smash kid cancer on the side of your head. Like you do anything. This is who you are. Um, (laughs) But, but one of the things, and I really, I have never met Andrew, your husband. And, and I just really want to shout him out and like honor him. And I remember just having met you and you shaved your head and you post the picture of you with a shaved head with this tattoo. And yeah. his caption was, I love when you take your power back, babe. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, and, he's been yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. So special. So special yeah. that the union that y'all have. Um, yeah. So, so talk about walking your little boy through this. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I've thought of multiple times is the fact that people used to ask me before, like before he got sick, right? When I was going through my own treatment, they'd say, well, how do you, how do you deal with it? You know, how do you make sense of it? And I would say, well, I'm going to have to use my uh, experience to help someone later in my life. I just know that. And you know, never in a million years did I ever imagine that that would be my own child. I never, I never thought that that would be the case. So when Roan was diagnosed, um, (laughs) this doctor that we didn't have for very long, I think we realized that he actually had a quite a intensive um, PTSD reaction to me being back in the hospital with my own child. So he removed himself from our case after a few weeks. But the first, one of the first things he said to me uh, when we finally sat down to get the diagnosis and get the information was, well, you'll be glad to know that we're using the same drugs as we used for you. What? <laughs> And I, I, I had a, you know, an out of body experience in that moment where I just like, I could see myself literally launching myself across the table to just take him by the throat, like glad how in the world could you imagine I would be glad. And this is part of the disconnect really, I think, that happens between families and the medical profession, because in the medical profession in childhood cancer, they're just so glad your child or you are not going to die. So it's like, thank God we can save your life. And Mm -hmm. what I have never, until recent years, been able to figure out how to say well is, there were times that I wish I had died, so I wouldn't have had to live with what I lived with afterwards. Yeah. And so to hear that was like, I mean, 
I can go in that, that, that doctor in that day was, there were so many levels of not okay with what happened, but that in itself was an absolute gut punch. And what I realized in that moment was that I'd been trained as an advocate because I had to advocate for my own health for so many years. And now I was going to have to dial that up even higher. And so everything that I had learned, everything I learned about staying grounded, about my experiences, I mean, it went to as far as I remember what this drug feels. So I would talk to my husband at night. I'd say, you know, I I know that the way he's acting seems strange, but let me explain to you how this drug feels when it's in your body and what it does to you. So let's talk about that and how we can support him because here I have this like incredible experience. He's getting the same drugs that I got 25 years prior. So this is what this drug does. And this is what this drug does. And then I would help him understand this is the thing that you need to know about what's going on in your body. And it helped me also develop a lot of metaphors around what was happening for him so that I could be more clear, help him walk more clearly through it. You know, we came up with lots of Lego metaphors. We came up with lots of um, different play metaphors around this is what's going on. And it normalized it for him in a way, I think, that it couldn't have normalized for any other child to know that their mother had already experienced this. It was like, well, this is just what people do when they get cancer, you know? Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And the support that you, you didn't have that for yourself. And you had this incredible level of PTSD afterward that you have helped mitigate for him. By being yeah. with him the whole way through. Although my PTSD, when he di- got diagnosed, just went yeah. absolutely through the roof. Like, of course. It was, yeah. And so, meanwhile, while I'm holding his hand through this, I'm having to hold my own self together and hold my own hand. I mean, in a lot of ways, there was yeah. a lot of like younger child healing. You know, that right. I remember at one point, um, so spinal taps or lumbar punctures are very are, are very common in this kind of treatment. There's a lot of them that happen. And so for one of the first spinal taps he had to have, um, you kind of have to, if, so if a child wiggles while a spinal tap is happening, that is very, very dangerous. And they're given some sedation, but they have to stay absolutely still. And what we learned in the beginning is that my child is a wiggler. <laughs> so... I was deeply lucky to be at a hospital where I was allowed to stay with him during the spinal tap, which is not always common practice. Um, but in this one spinal tap, we're, I was have this very clear memory of holding him down, like being by his head. There's a team of probably eight medical professionals around you, someone to, to help if he stops breathing, a couple of nurses, the doctor doing the, the thing, the doctor's giving the sleepy medicine. Um, and I'm, I'm helping hold him down and I'm talking to him because he's still a little bit conscious. It's a very light sedation they give. And as I'm watching, and the other thing that needs to happen in this time is that you as a parent have to approve the drugs they're about to put in your child's body. So you are shown the drugs, they read them to you, um, 
and I'm yeah. So they read yeah, them to like you. You read them. Your, they have yeah. biohazard stickers on them. Now this drug in particular that they use for spinal taps, the reason they have this protocol, and this is not something that most parents know or experience, uh, while I was in treatment 25 years prior, one of the doctors made an absolutely terrible mistake. And they were so overrun at the time with how many kids they were treating that they ended up doing a spinal tap in the hallway which is a very bad, bad plan. Um, And this doctor, after this moment, he never practiced medicine again um, by his choice. He picked up the wrong drug and he inserted this drug into the child's spine and killed the child on the spot. Mm -hmm. Such pressure, wow. Mm -hmm. So I was in treatment while this was happening. This was a kid that I had actually seen in the clinic so afterwards across the board through like Canada the US Australia everywhere they instilled this thing where you have to check the drug between two nurses and then the doctor and the and the parent all have to approve this drug yeah so I was doing a spinal tap with him and approving this drug praying just over and over god please like it's saying okay i I read the drug i know it's the right drug i know this is the right drug it's going to be okay watching her inject it into his spine while i was concurrently experiencing a flashback of my own spinal taps oh yeah (sighs) yeah fuck hulk woman you're the superhero (laughs) (laughs) well you just got to do what you got to do right like if you're in that situation your choices are I either crumble and my child has no one right or I get through this and that was what I was faced with the time and again was either you learn how to heal this and come back to yourself and be the best mom be the person that you needed while you were in treatment be all of the things that you know are necessary either that, that's that's the one option the other option is you can you could essentially just check out you could die you could do all sorts of things but you have a choice you have an opportunity to do this differently okay. and to offer what you always needed so I'm over here crying. <laughs> Thank you so much. I just, I'm like pausing for, for the women who are listening that know, yeah. know exactly what you're talking about in a million different scenarios that yeah. you bring it because you have to. Yeah. Women warriors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's the way we create a new world, right? is we walk through it differently than we walked through it the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I have had this conversation. Well, we've had this conversation in many different ways, but this, um, you know, we know that women are tired. We know women are beyond tired. Like your body still is like working out the the remnants of these chemicals in it. Like we're tired. Oh, yes. we're still ushering in the new world. Like, right absolutely. Here. And, you know, it's kind of like, 
I'm sorry, women, like it, it just is that way. <laughs> like we, yeah. just, we are just tired and yeah. we are still responsible right now. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and so do this together, like do this with other women. Right. Like, and, and I'm sorry, Absolutely. Off, but I just want to no. say like, you're not alone. You know, we're not alone when we're making this decision. Like we are tired. We yeah. are ushering in the new paradigm on the planet. Like the feminine, the divine feminine needs us to do this in our bodies. Like the divine feminine was with you when you're over your child saying, I got you. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you're, you're like, there and you're showing up and you're ushering in this new way in that moment and like a million more yeah 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 and we yeah like you said we can't do it alone right like that is the biggest piece is like if I had I if I had disappeared into myself and into my own trauma which was very tempting and very easy to do I would have disappeared farther and farther away like I wouldn't have been my life would no longer be my own. And so, you know, in the case of that spinal tap, I left that spinal tap and I mean, I was having flashbacks that I was waking up in cold sweats at night. I was, I was in it. And I told my husband and we were like, okay, time for some really serious therapy. I was already going to therapy, but you know, like let's dial it up because, and, and, you know, the last thing I want to do in that situation, when I'm like at home with my child, who's, extremely sick and my other child who's just had her entire life thrown like blown apart the last thing I want to do is go to therapy kidding me (laughs) like do more work what (laughs) but it was the only thing that was really the the only real option if I was going to show up yeah, and thank you for mentioning your second child as well. So when your son got the diagnosis, you already had a second child. Yeah. So you're also yeah. parenting uh, like an, a toddler. Yeah. Um, I mean, she was she was two at the time, and I actually <laughs> the six months prior to my my son being diagnosed, um, I had undergone three massive reconstructive surgeries on one of my ankles to save my ability to walk. So I had been on four months of bed rest. I had had, I met this incredible surgeon who up until that point, doctors have been telling me there's nothing we can do. You will end up with a double ankle fusion and eventually you just won't be able to walk. And then I met this new surgeon and she said, I can save it possibly if we act now. I've never done any of these surgeries. I've never read of anyone doing these surgeries, but you're just going to have to trust me. And so I was like, well, okay, where do I sign? And uh, we had three weeks of preparation. And then suddenly we were thrown into this world of me not being able to get out of bed and then uh, ending up learning how to walk again. And I learned how to walk again one month before he was diagnosed. And looking at the timeline retrospectively, I'm so grateful because by the time he was diagnosed, I was able, and this is something I hadn't been able to do prior to my ankle reconstruction, I was able to carry my child again. I was able to carry both children. So I, so she was two at the time. Our family had already been in medical crisis for over six months, actually more like eight months at that point. And, and then the diagnosis came. Yeah. 
So I want to um, make sure we touch on two more things and and happy to go beyond that as well. But I want to get back to the choice to care for yourself in all Mm -hmm. of this and caring for yourself, you know, on a spiritual path as well. Um, and, you know, with other women as well. And so, um, yeah, I would love to lift up some of those choices and, um, and hear what you have to share there. And then I also want to touch base. I think that this is going to air in May when we celebrate mothers Mm -hmm. on the podcast. And yet this coronavirus is, um, very currently sort of exploding. And so I want to, hear from you what it's like, um, in this situation, you know? So, so those are my two requests. Um, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first question you asked was about reaching out to women and the spiritual path. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, Somewhere along the way, I realized, I mean, this treatment is three and a half years, right? And all around me, not only is my family in trauma, but now my my biological family was also quite deeply traumatized, re-traumatized by um, their first grandchild having this diagnosis. And... Uh, all around me, people were in trauma. And I realized that I was losing myself, despite the fact that I was doing therapy, despite the fact that I was deeply, I'd gotten um, very involved in fiber arts. I was, I'd learned to spin. I was needle felting. I was knitting. I was teaching knitting and crochet. I was uh, wet felting. I was doing all of these different fiber arts. And I would stay up late, like three hours. I would say to people, I have to do at least three hours of crafting or of, of fiber art every night. Otherwise I lose my mind. So it was like my, my, lifeline at that time was like if everything around me is collapsing then I just need to create I need to create beautiful things because that is going to keep me inspired it's going to keep me grounded it's going to keep me present so but even even with this even with all my other tools even with my seminary background and all the things that I knew I realized I was losing myself um and our life required a really big change. Uh, I was stuck in feeling angry and resentful and seeing after 25 years of being an advocate for myself, I knew all the holes in the system. So when I looked at the systems that I was, we were dealing with, I saw the holes. I saw the, the places where people were not coming through. I saw the places where things needed to shift. And I was becoming more and more bitter. And so my husband and I made the absolutely crazy decision (laughs) based on our leading to move our family across the country mid-chemo, mid-everything. We're going to try and find a house. We were living in a place where there's quite a massive housing issue. Um, And we needed to find our own place. So we moved our entire family across the country started chemo at another hospital, which I realize now was an incredible gift because what it meant was that we had a very 
bad experience <laughs> and realized that what we needed to do was go back to where we actually had it really good. It was a massive perspective shift. I didn't realize just how much it was my perspective that needed to change. It wasn't the things around me. It was the things around me that needed to change in order for me to see that the perspective was what I had lost. And when we moved to Ontario, I got um, introduced actually through you to a spiritual mentor group with a bunch of other women that really brought me home to myself and one of the other things that happened was we bought a house where I had my own fiber studio so I had my own space Mm -hmm. so in a situation where I'd been homeschooling my children my medically fragile children in the midst of my own trauma in the midst of their trauma trying to stay grounded not having enough support not having enough space or room for myself I suddenly had this incredible fiber studio I had a group of um, people that I could connect with. Let me know if wind has just picked up. So let me know if that's coming through on the microphone. Sorry about that. No, um, that's okay. And we love your, like, we're listening to your voice. <laughs> so thanks for awesome. naming, like what it is, but no, no one, no one cares about the wind right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I got connected to this incredible group of women and started doing these practices that just really brought home to myself, like what my own sense of my own divinity really was where I was deeply intuitive where I was already really connected um what I could do I really like upped my grounding game I've always been someone who's meditated and done that through my Quaker upbringing but I learned new tools for energy healing new tools for energy grounding and it changed everything like all of a sudden having space and time to myself to do my art and do my meditation and do my connecting with other incredible humans on these paths, I remembered who I was in my core. I was no longer just this trauma. I was no longer just this childhood cancer survivor thrown into this impossible situation. I was no longer just the mom who was just like beyond exhausted at her absolute wit's end. I was a priestess. I was a sacred being. I was a magic maker. I was a wisdom carrier. I was all of these things that were so far beyond just this human story that was so identified with pain and it was nothing I mean you know my child was still on chemo things were still really hard we actually received other diagnoses through during his chemo that made things even more complicated like those things didn't change we had moved across the country we had to change everything all of the care providers absolutely all of the other things and then six months into our Uh, Well, after about six months of being there, we realized we had to move back to go back to the care that we had been in, understanding that we needed this, we had needed this perspective shift, but now we needed to pack up our entire lives all over again, move back across the country with our pets and our family, all of our belongings, sell this house we had bought. But it didn't feel like it had the same weight because... Mm -hmm. 
I, I was lighter in my soul and in my heart. Yeah. Can, yeah. That right there, this, the word yeah. weight just really struck me. Like trauma has a different weight. It's, it's heaviness, but it, it bears down on you in a different way where it's like, you're consistently like moving around those pieces of heaviness of weight and, and it's hard to uncover who you are. And then with a path of love and a path of sacred remembering and a path of like remembering the soul's truth. Why would that blanket metaphor is like really powerful for me? Cause you can just begin to pull that blanket back and let the air in again, let the light in yeah. again, mm. you know, and eventually it feels safe enough to come out from under the blankets and rejoin the world. Mm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah but the conditions didn't change but you had and and yeah. you've done that through remembering who you are and the more of you that you brought online the more you were able to be present with life yeah of course yeah of course and so and the more you're able to and, and this is something that you and I have shared in sisterhood this um you know the bravery the courage to own that discovery like yeah. you just said the word priestess on the podcast <laughs> I love it I was like oh she did yeah but like okay <laughs> we are like we have these ancient souls yeah we know how to make magic that we didn't learn in this lifetime like totally we have things to bring forward the kinds of conversations that you and I have (laughs) we're like people don't have these conversations you know so there there is this this magical this priestess path this wisdom path and to um also have the courage to own that you know, it's like one thing to remember, yeah. and then it's like another thing to find that courage and embody it. I feel like, you know, me having this podcast and you being on this podcast, like it's another act of of that courage of saying like, we're going to step into this remembering. We're going to step into the truth yeah. telling. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a really interesting thing in a world, especially like a medically, <laughs> very medically, uh, drenched world to stand and say I believe in magic I believe that I can be a conduit for magic I believe in the my ability to hold powers that you can't see but you can feel and you can be uh engaged with and co-creation with and yeah yeah, it's it, it it I definitely had like I've had a lot of um there are people who look at me and think, okay, there she goes again, you know, she's just mm-hmm. off doing her weird old thing. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? It brings me alive. And it brings me well, alive in a way that I've never been alive before. It brings you alive. And I'm wondering if you'll share the story, um, a recent story about how you were in a clinic because your child had a fever and you had to go to, to the mainland and um, and then you had taken Oracle cards and you were sitting in the general area and the woman was attracted to you. Do you remember that story? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like so in those medical spaces, how it's starting, like you, you're holding this sort of like light or energy that people are attracted to. Totally. And it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing. I actually, like that in itself, this woman came up to me and said, you know, will you pull cards for me? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I will pull cards for you. Let's, yeah, let's share this space. And um, I've never brought my Oracle cards out in public, really. It's not something I do, but it felt so clear that that was something that was necessary to offer. And when I, um, I actually talked to the people who have this house. It's, this is um, a house that that's, works concurrently with the hospital to hold space for families that are coming through with really acutely ill children. Um, and they've asked, you know, will you come back and do more of this? And I was like, will you sit by the yeah. fire and have your cards and just offer this space to families because this is what we need. We need someone to remind us to stop and breathe. Mm-hmm. to breathe into our hearts and our souls to listen for the deeper guidance because this is a thing that we get disconnected from and when Rome, and your yarn i'm sorry yeah I mean, <laughs> your yarn is also magical in that way yeah well and and i think that that's i mean for me it it speaks through my yarn my yarn is uh one of my things that feels like a remembering from lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes upon ago. I dye yarn as well and work with yarn and it feels like an ancient wisdom that I carry, but I've seen the same energy being carried by other art forms. And I think that the key is that it's, it's the connection to our creative self that helps us be in touch with our authentic soul that helps us continue to move in that space, even in the hardest of circumstances. And like, you know, I brought, I brought an altar to the hospital room for our last day of treatment. And I set up my special rocks and my altar and my different oils and all of the rest of the things, because that was part of it for me was like, this is, this this remembering is one of the things that helped me survive this and helped us all not just survive but actually thrive through it like i would say we are more alive now than we've ever been and we have a lot of challenges that continue like treatment is over but there's a lot of complications um after treatment and in follow up and yet Every single day, there is such deep joy and such gratitude for the life that we have. And like we have had, since moving back a year ago, we have moved, it will be eight times in 18 months when we move in two weeks into our home for the first time since moving back from Ontario. Like we have had a very complex life. Um and yet the joy is just there mm. and the abundance is just there because once you're tapped in, walking away from it doesn't feel like an option any longer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, I, I want to wrap. <laughs> There's a lot of wind. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> Sorry okay. about that. No, like I, I feel like it's just you know it's symbolic somehow. It's like you're all running <laughs> up right now uh, as things are getting more and more potent. Um, yeah, so let's. I want to talk about coronavirus mm-hmm. because. I know that you're going through a thing right now that, that I want to better understand. I want listeners to understand. Um, I'm also conscious of time and wanting to respect the length of people's time for the podcast. So mm-hmm. I'm just like naming that in general. So we won't do a real, real deep dive here. Yeah. Um, but how I'm going to enter this is actually and take it whatever direction you want. But, you know, you were just talking about creativity Mm-hmm. and that the creativity oh gosh i wish i was better at remembering quotes but my brain doesn't do that i'm sorry i do have a piece of paper in front of me but i didn't i didn't like capture it you were talking about creativity and how it's necessary mm-hmm. and how it's necessary in times of struggle or trauma or stuckness and sometimes that's like the hardest thing to find yeah and this morning I left you a message about this, but I want to share this for the listeners and go in this way. So this morning, you know, um, I wake up and the first thing that hits me is a lot of joy. Hmm. And here we are where I'm like, what is going on in the world? I'm like, you know, asking my scientist partner to please text me like what is actually happening because there's so much fear and so much panic and so much hype. Like, should my child go to school? Should he not go to school? And, um, and joy was so right there this morning. I was like, well, hi joy. Like, what is this? What, what are we, um, this is a relatively unusual way to wake up and I'm really pleased to to find myself sitting with this emotion. So I'm, you know, sitting with it and sort of uh, tuning into it. Right. And I was like, what is this about in this time of hype? Why would joy be here? And there was this message that came in about the feminine, Mm -hmm. which was really pointing toward creativity, Mm -hmm. but it was like in this time when nobody can figure out what to do, Mm -hmm. women, and conscious women are the ones with the fertile soil. Like we are the ones with the womb space. We are the ones with the space of creativity. We are the ones that burn. Um, and there was this message, like the new world can't land in dry, brittle soil. Yeah. So create, like, so make your space your life this fertile soil mm-hmm. that creation can land in it mm-hmm. and i'm like whoa this is a major call to the feminine at this time of seeming crisis pandemic even that yeah. word yeah so yeah i mean i'm kind of like asking a broad or i'm, I'm entering this in a broad way and i know that you're gonna totally pick it up but there's this creation possibility and then there's this well even beyond creation possibility there's this woman feminine um mother energy and then there's like this reality of you know keeping our children safe and our families safe and and i know that this impacts you with Mm -hmm. a child with um 
this fragile immune system, mm-hmm. this really mm-hmm. impacts you in a big way. So maybe that's two different questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I could give a really, I mean, a quick thing about how it does impact uh, me because I think that it really does make, uh, it does speak to what we need to do to move forward in a wholeness is so uh, my child has, like you said, a suppressed immune system at this point still. Um, it takes a very long time for our immune systems to come back after chemo. And he's still what we would call immune suppressed. Um, on top of that, he uh, also has a breathing anomaly, in, which has nothing to do with his cancer, just happens to be how he was born, which means that every time he gets a regular run-of-the-mill cold, his throat closes and he stops breathing. So... To combine those two things with something like the coronavirus does create an incredibly, incredibly scary uh, reality because here we are in a pandemic with a virus that's spreading very quickly, much like a wildfire might. Um, Wildfires in Australia come to mind. You know, this is spreading human to human, but it is very similar in nature. And it's all the things that we would be concerned about. It's a, it's a virus that's, that affects the ability to breathe. It's a virus that affects people with low immune systems. And it has been hard this week. I've had moments where I have definitely come out of my grounded place and been in fear. And what I, as you were talking about, the need to create, what I notice is like when I'm in fear, my body contracts. I feel my energy centers contracting. Everything gets smaller. It gets more brittle. You know, my, I feel like, yeah. And I feel like if I was nudged the wrong way, I might just break, you know, I might just crumble. And, and then in that place, I cannot imagine how I would deal with another situation. I mean, we've had multiple colds in the last two years where we have had my child's throat has closed, he has stopped breathing, his lips are going blue, we are calling ambulances, and we are on our way to the hospital. And that is separate from his his cancer and his chemotherapy. Um, so I, I'm familiar with this terrifying situation. And from that place, like where I'm like, I can't even imagine how bad it would be if the coronavirus came into my family. My, now we have to deal with the, you know, here's this spiral that I can get stuck in. What am I going to do if, 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 and when that happens, not only am I feeling my body disconnecting from my grounding, but I'm feeling my whole body tighten up and my energy centers close down and I'm in my head and I'm in my fear and everything is harder. And what I keep getting, I spent a lot of time uh, this week wild harvesting medicine from our land. And what I keep getting when I come outside is like, I touch down and I connect to the earth and I remember like we are held we are hell. And yesterday I had this incredible experience where um, I had an energy reading with a friend of mine and she mentioned, you know, 
doing wild harvesting and plant medicine is very like powerful for you at this time. And I immediately knew I needed to come down and the time was now where I needed to go and harvest this from this cedar tree that had come down on our land. So I came down here, harvested from the cedar tree, took all the fronds back, intuitively was like, I need to boil a pot of cedar on the stove. So I put the cedar on the stove and I'm boiling the water and I go onto Facebook and up pops this thing that says the indigenous elders are saying, connect to Gaia, boil cedar because it clears the air, (laughs) speak to the plants, pray to the plants, pray to the water, ask for your intention, ask for your protection. And I was like, oh my God, of course, this is what I'm doing. And I was connected enough to listen, to enter into that co-creative process, to trust. Like, I was like, well, why am I boiling a pot of cedar? Well, I don't know. But I'm going to do it. I don't know, but you're going to do it. But I'm going to do it. And I... Why am I harvesting cedar today? Well, I'm not really sure. I'm pretty sure it has something to do with respiratory health. Like, I know that that's a thing, but I'm not really sure how it works. And here I am doing exactly what it is that I need to be doing to keep my family safe and to know, to, to affirm for myself that in my gut, I know what it is that we need. And I need to come outside and I need to do art. Like, One of the things about fiber arts, the co-creative process, is that it engages your whole brain. It engages both sides of your brain. It helps calm your nervous system as you're doing it. So for me, the co-creative process can be wild harvesting plants. It can be making art. It can be any sorts of things. But what is really required is being in our bodies, in our intuition, in our knowing, being grounded in the earth, being understanding that we are held like singing to the plants i mean i'm people think people if they came across me would think i'm crazy i'm singing to this tree that's down as i'm cutting the the cedar fronds and i'm thanking the plant for all of its medicine that it's offering us and i leave with a full heart yeah right mm-hmm. thank you that was yeah. so beautiful. Your wraparound in, in that creative process. Oh, thank you. Thank you so, for asking the question. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask before we tell people where to find you or maybe mm-hmm. your yarn and your services, um, if there's anything else that's on your heart that wants to be said and spoken into this space. I think everything feels really complete to me. and. I want to check in with you. Yeah, I'm feeling really good. I'm really grateful for this conversation. Thank you. And thank you for holding the space that you're holding because I think that what I do want to say is that I feel really clear that the medicine that you offer with these interviews is extremely potent and powerful. And I know that like I tune in every week. It's like my, one of my favorite things to listen to. Thank Um, you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think that this is what we need is we need to be sharing, like you said, sharing our stories and listening to each other, because I think we have the wisdom. I think the truth is that we have the wisdom to get through Mm -hmm. this creation of the new world, through these tragic and terrifying times. They can be so scary. 
And I think that we have been disconnected for so long from our intuitive knowing Mm -hmm. um, and the knowing that we all hold and we all share. And this is one of the ways that that we're being reconnected with it. So I'm really grateful for you for holding a space. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for listening and thank you for having the conversations. But like, I just want to agree with you that yes, like we have the knowing, even if it's not in our front of mind. So as the morning sort of progressed and, you know, like the layers of the mystery, I kind of joke and I'm like, I have five shamanic experiences before lunch, you know, like on a typical day. You know, but I'm like, oh, that layer of the mystery and that and that. But I couldn't, I couldn't see, you know, where the feminine and the coronavirus are like coming together. But I was like, okay, the world is shutting down Mm -hmm. and I'm waking up with this feeling of joy Mm -hmm. and this message to create. And so what is the message coming through? And where I went was, um, I left you a message Mm -hmm. and then I went to the private group that the mastermind, the sacred truth mastermind that I, that I hold space for, I went there because we've been clearing mother lines. Yeah. And I went there and I was like, okay, here's what I'm getting. What are you all getting? And mastermind, when I first started using that word, it's like a businessy word, but then I was like, no, this is connecting consciousness. Like that's what a mastermind is, right? So here we have women's sacred truth mastermind. And I'm like, well, if, and there are seven of us and I'm like, if we, we can figure anything out, we can figure anything out. And like, there's a, um, alchemy, there's an alchemy happening. It is happening anyway. And the more we tune into it and the more we say, thank you. And the more we put our foreheads against the trees and the more we say, like, I'm here, show me. And the more we hold hands as sisters and have these conversations, um, the more that alchemy becomes embodied. Um, Absolutely. The sacred feminine really wants to come through. I I believe it's going to come through women's bodies as we Uh remember together. And so, um, yes, we have. We have all that is needed at this time. We need to remember and activate it. So thank you for being here. I know that there was a lot of activation for our listeners present in the story that you shared. And I want to honor the depth of your knowing and your experience. And I want to ask you, I know that you hold space for people, for other people, for other families that are going through um, a cancer journey. And one thing that really popped for me was when you were talking about teens and like the sense of development and then being able to communicate with parents and children, like be the liaison between Mm -hmm. children going through a childhood cancer journey and parents that don't have the experience that is such a valuable, valuable um, service to the world. So yeah. Will you please um, tell people about your offerings and where they can find you? Yeah. So I am really interested. Well, I'm just absolutely totally passionate about doing exactly that about being a a conduit a helper for people to connect to their deeper healing journeys as they go through this 
childhood cancer journey. Um, you can find my blog at erinoryan.com. That's a place where I share my own process, but I also have uh, available offerings on that website. Um, so there's counseling, there's embodied art therapy offerings, uh, there's intuitive energy healings and readings offered, and really what what I offer is to sh- what I offer from the deepest part of myself is. Um, a commitment to show up and to show up with all that I am and all that I have to help you in wherever you are to become, to walk into the highest version of yourself, into the fullest version of yourself and step more into your authentic being in order to heal from the things that are keeping you from really living your magic. And if that looks like medical trauma, then I show up with you there. And if that looks like small stories about or stories about like our small egos that can keep us confined and not living into our biggest self, then I show up with you there. And if it means pulling oracle cards, then that's what we do. And sometimes if it means energy healing, that's what we do. Or we do counseling because I'm highly trained in that as well. So um, my... Offerings, I mean, I, I want to just say, oh, I do this one thing, but really what it is, is I offer to show up with you completely and wholly and offer whatever it is that I have that I am carrying that can be of service to you on your journey. Yeah. So I want to encourage anyone hearing, Erin, that if you feel the resonance of like something popping, that's connection. Like that's what we follow. So Erin ryan.com and that'll be in the show notes for sure yeah thank Thank you so so much much, thank you this is amazing hey it's sarah the host here and the creator of embodied breath my private practice where i use alchemical coaching and healing methodologies to help you live into your full truth so that you can be who you desire to be in the world I believe that every woman has a truth that she's not yet telling, and that to own that truth changes and even saves her life. At sarahpoet.com, you'll find trauma-sensitive tools, practices, meditations, my TEDx for modern women, an e-course for women to shift from silence into sacred truth, my blog with many more personal stories, information on conscious relationship and my work with couples and sacred union links to working with me in various durations privately for leadership coaching and otherwise, you can schedule a consultation right there on the website if that's for you. Everything changes when we align to the truth of who we are, when we stop identifying with our old stories and traumas, and when we own that sacred truth and claim the path of sacred remembering for ourselves. I believe that it is the formula for everything from personal alchemy to planetary shifts. Thank you for being here and thank you for helping to create change with your life at this time. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path and women are rising now together. 
You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.